We got it. We finally got this working. Now, um, we've been talking about the table. The church is the table where the hungry come to get fed. And uh, we said that not only um, is Jesus the bread of life, and we're going to look at where he says that today. We're going to look at that in context today. But we said that the table is made up of three chairs. The chair over here, well, actually four chairs. This chair is my chair. I'm the dude with the food. I'm supposed to bring, as the pastor, I'm supposed to bring the food every week so that people can get fed. This chair represents people who are far from God, seekers, people that are investigating Christianity. They don't know what's going on. They're not sure if God's for real. They're not sure if we are for real as Christ followers. That's what this chair represents. So a third of the church ought to be this chair. This chair is brand new believers. If we're doing what we should be doing, we should constantly be telling people about the bread of life so that they can taste the bread. Um, As it says in Psalms, they can taste and see that the Lord is good. And they understand they give their lives to Christ. This chair represents another third. This is mature believers. These are people who have sold out to Christianity. They're giving of their time, their talents, their treasure to further the kingdom of God. And we said if the, if the church, the table is the church, if the church is doing what it should be doing, then these people in this chair, the mature Christians, they're going out and they're meeting and they're inviting hell-bound people to the table so that they can get fed, their souls can be fed. And then they're moving into this chair where they're brand new believers. And then they move over here and we got this beautiful ecosystem going on. That's what we've been talking about for three weeks now. We've got one more week that we're going to be talking about that. Now, today I want to continue our study about the table and about the bread, but I need to give you just a little bit of background. In the Old Testament, um, that's the first basically half of the Bible, a little more than half of the Bible. In the Old Testament, there was a time when the children of Israel, I don't know if you ever saw the Ten Commandments, you know, it was so biblically inaccurate, but, but still we get the basic idea if you watch the Ten Commandments, where they come out of Egypt, they come out of slavery, the Israelites do. Well, what they do is they come out, they cross the Red Sea, they go to what's called the promised land, Canaan. God had been promising this land forever and ever to them. And if they would only obey and follow him, he would take them right into the promised land. If you know anything about the story, you know that they sent 12 spies. They spent a lot of time there having a good time trying to check it out. And they said, yes, it is indeed an excellent land flowing with all kinds of milk and honey. That just meant lots of good food, lots of water, lots of pasture land. This is the most excellent land. But when they came back, they said, but there's a problem. There's some giants living there. Ten of the spies said, oh, we can't take these giants. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, we can. Our God is bigger than them. We can take them. Well, the people listened to the ten spies. And so God shut the door on the promised land. And they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there were a million men, a million Israelites that were wandering in the wilderness. And if you think about that, you can't just show up anywhere with a million men plus women and children and get food. I was thinking about this. What if a million men and their families just descended on Palestine and went to every restaurant in Palestine? And in Slocum. We were talking about that. And in Natchez. We were in the little restaurant in Natchez the other day. If they went everywhere, would a million people be able to be fed in Palestine? Not a chance. So now you think about it. There aren't restaurants. There aren't gas stations. There aren't these things that are going on in the wilderness. There's nothing but wilderness. And so these people started complaining. They're saying, oh, God, it would have been better if we were back in slavery, back in Egypt. At least we had food. So they're whiners and complainers, these million men and their their wives and their children. And so what God does is he decides that he's going to feed them. And he feeds them something called manna. And manna is literally, the, the, the literal definition of manna is, what is it? What's that? Okay, well, you know what this is like, right? Now, do not go out of here telling my wife that I said she's a bad cook because she is a great cook. Obviously, I'm not hurting. 
Okay? But there are times that my wife gets tired of cooking the things that she knows we like, which blows my mind. I'm like, you know we like this. Cook this. Anyway, so she'll, she'll experiment. And when she experiments, Caleb and I walk to the table, and you can just see it. I mean, I look at him, he looks at me, and we're like, oh, no. And, and we, we go, we, we look at, this happened this week. Janie decides to make a new dish. You know, when we first got married, I'm getting in trouble. When we first got married, she had 30 menus. She would, she would go shopping for a month, and she would have 30 menus on, and she'd say, pick one. I was like, this is great. Uh, you know, some of my, my friends, they were like, my wife doesn't do that. Your wife needs to talk to my wife. You know, 30 menus. Anyway, so this was not one of the 30, by the way. So she, we come to the table, and we're like, what is that? And she goes, oh, it's something new. And Caleb and I are just like, okay. Now, most of the time, we like what she cooks, even when she experiments. But the one or two times that we've taken a bite and gone, we've not let her forget that. So we're like, oh, no. Well, it ended up being this, this new chicken spaghetti thing. It was muy bueno, so we're, all, we're okay. You can go tell her. I said that she was a good cook. But you know what it's like to walk in a restaurant. I remember in restaurants, I've been there. I'm going, what's that? You know, and you understand that. Okay, this is what happened. The Israelites had never seen manna. They're wandering in the wilderness. They go to sleep one night and they wake up the next morning. And as the dew dries on the ground, this white wafer-like substance. Go to, a, go to a dictionary sometime, a Bible dictionary, and read all of the different definitions of manna. There's lots of stuff. What is it? And it's coriander-like. It's this. has a taste like honey. Basically, it was some little substance that was like a bread, but it had this honey taste, and it would sustain them. Now, think about it. It had to sustain them for 40 years. Every day, they had to go out and they had to get more manna. And so, you know, I've heard somebody talk about it. They did it every which way you can find it. You know, they, they made uh, banana sandwiches and, and banana nut bread and, and manna cotti and, you know, just all of these different things. They had it every which way you could have it for 40 stinking years. And the Bible says that God was testing them with this manna to see if they would com- uh, complain. Because manna sustained them. That's all they were saying. We need sustenance out here. We're dying in the wilderness. And God said, I will give you manna, but you're only supposed to get enough for one day. If you get more than enough for one day, for your family for one day, it, in the morning, it will rot. Well, sure enough, just like you know any of us humans are, they had to test it. Some of them tested it. And the next morning, maggots were in it. I don't know why the Bible talks about maggots, but it, it says, Bible, it's pretty cool. You know, my, my son likes talking about it. Anyway, there's maggots in it. He likes the fear factor stuff. Hannah, five years old, she's like, I like it when they eat the gross stuff. Janie and I are puking and our kids are loving that. Um, so anyway, they tested it. But the one exception was on the day before the Sabbath, you could get two days worth because they, they weren't supposed to gather on the Sabbath. People who didn't obey God on, on the day before the Sabbath and go gather two days worth, they were very disappointed on the Sabbath day because they went out and there was no manna. So six days a week, there's manna. You get it for one day. You don't get more than one day's supply, except that last day, the sixth day. Then you get two days' supply because it doesn't show up. Miraculous way that God um, provides for them this food, this sustenance enough for one day. Okay, now that's in the Old Testament. Fast forward to the New Testament. This is where we're going to get into the meat of what Jesus was teaching. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. You've heard that story, right? little boy had a few loaves of fish and, I mean, a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And then they combined them together and made sandwiches. And, and so the people thought this was really cool. And they decided that they would make Jesus their king. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him, you know, stand up to the, to, the, to the leaders. And now he could feed people off just some little sack lunch. Way cool to have your king be able to do that. No more farming for me, dude. I'm sitting back. My king, he just makes a little food. It's just vacation all the time. That's what the people were thinking. 
And Jesus was, was not interested at all in that because Jesus knew the motives of the people were not pure. You see, they weren't coming to Him to see Him. They were coming to Him to see a miracle. There were people that just, they were groupies. They followed Jesus around. Oh, is He going to do something today? I don't know. Let's go see. Let's go check it out. They didn't listen to, at all to what He had to say. They didn't listen at all to um, the commands He said that His Father gave Him. They didn't understand any of that type of stuff. Now, you've got to understand that back in this day, Rome, who was the ruling power of the known world, Rome had a formula for dealing with all of these people that they had conquered. And the formula was bread and circuses. Bread and circuses. Because they thought, give them food and entertainment and you'll keep the masses happy. There were actually 93 days set aside for festivals in the Roman calendar, paid for by the Roman government, because their thought was... Keep them happy and fed, and we don't have to fight them or jail them. It's easier to do it that way. All right? So that's the, that's the environment that Jesus is dealing with. He fed 5,000 men and their, their wives and children. They're all excited. Let's make him king. And he says, okay, you don't understand. See, they thought that Moses provided the man in the Old Testament. They weren't clear on that. This, they had these writings, and, and some of their Jewish leaders said that Moses is the one who provided the manna in the Old Testament. And um, these Jews are going, okay, this is cool. I've been part of the Hebrew happy meal. And I guess now I'm waiting on manna to come from heaven. Because they believed that when the Messiah came, the Messiah that was going to save them, that was going to be the ruler of their people, he would also bring manna from heaven. Got the Hebrew happy meal. Now show me some manna. They're looking at the skies. Jesus, just show us a sign. You say believe. If you show me some manna, bring it on. Then I'll believe in you. We'll make you king. Everything will be good. And Jesus rocks their world because they just didn't get it. The cosmic carbohydrate, the bread of life, was staring them right in the face. And they're saying, show me something else. Show me the money. Show me the bread. Give me some, a bagel with cream cheese. Because their bellies were hungry. They were thinking physical food. Jesus is talking spiritual food. And see, they, they had it backwards. They wanted to see and then believe. And you and I do that a lot of times too, don't we? But Jesus said, no, if you believe in me, then you'll see spiritual things. So they had it backwards. Now, Jesus continues to explain in this story, and I'm going to pick this up in John 6, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 32 through 34. Jesus said, I assure you, Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. Oh, my goodness. Now, to us, it's no big deal. Okay, Moses didn't. But you didn't mess with Big Mo back then. Moses, no way, dude. You didn't diss Moses. Because they thought he brought this miracle out in the wilderness. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses is the man. And Jesus just said, Moses didn't provide this manna for you. So this, this totally freaks some folks out. Jesus continues. Moses didn't provide it. My father did. Now, Jesus is pointing everyone the correct way. Don't look at Moses. Look at my father. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day of our lives. Well, here they go back to growling hungry stomachs. Okay, if you give me bread and I never have to go hungry again, you know, okay, cool. Give me that every day. They missed it again. Now, John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. Those who believe in me will never thirst. Now, we talk a lot about the meaning of life. And I want you to see this video where people are asked on the street interview. They're asked, what is the meaning of life? What fulfills you in life? What was just you and a blank slate? What would satisfy you? No outside material distraction. What would satisfy you? I don't... Right off the top of my head, I don't think anything would. No. Yeah, the angel shines on this hill. 
Now, did you notice where most of those people started with trying to find the answer to life? Let me, let me just leave that there and ask you this. If, if we had some instrument in here that uh, none of us knew what it was, we could you know, describe it and we'd say, well, it looks like this, it looks like this. But if none of us knew what the purpose of that instrument was, how would we determine that? How would we find out the purpose? Who would we need to talk to? The creator of the tool. Or someone who the, the creators talk to that shows them how to use it. Um, you ever been in the doctor's office and played with stuff in there? Janie, I used to have to go to the doctor with her, and I get bored, and so I'm like opening drawers and stuff, you know, and figure, she's going, quit, quit, you're going to get caught. And I'm like, what's he going to do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I like, and, and I'm like, I wonder what this is for. And I'm sure I'm, I'm misusing things all of the time because I don't know what it's designed for. And if you start from a human's perspective and try to figure out what your life was designed for, you will always come to the wrong conclusion. You need to go to the creator of human life, God. Jesus was standing before these people and he was saying, I have what will satisfy your soul. And he says, I'm him. And they're like, okay, well, what work do we need to do to please God? If you read this whole section, he's like, no, the work you need to do is believe. He keeps using this word, believe, believe. And in, in the Old, Old and New Testament, belief is a monster word. Belief means we yield our desires, our plans, our strengths, everything to Christ. Um, belief in this context means total assimilation. And what I think he's talking about is like, like you take a piece of bread. You know, it, it doesn't do me a whole lot of good. I love bread. You know, got, I ate at Spaghetti Warehouse yesterday, and they had all kinds of bread. We were just having a big time with Spaghetti Warehouse. And I love the smell of it. Come home and Janie's cooking bread. Mmm, smells good. Fills up the whole house, you know. It is great. But bread doesn't do jack for you if you just smell it and go, Mmm, yeah, it smells good. If you look at it, yeah, it looks good. I bet it would be good. My past experience tells me that it's good. But it doesn't do jack unless you do what? Eat it. You take a bite. And, and here's what I think Christ is saying. Belief means just like you take bread, you eat it, it is assimilated into your body, it becomes a part of you. That's what eating the bread of life means spiritually. You believe so much that you give everything that you know of yourself to everything that you know of God, and that's when God comes in and satisfies your soul. When you're trying to do things your own way, you are not going to be satisfied. And so these people are like, okay... Give us this bread. And Jesus like, no, not like the man in the Old Testament that was temporary. I'm talking forever. And you got to understand, Jesus said, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I'm a gate. He wasn't talking about, you know, metal and a little latch, you know, that clinks whenever it's... He wasn't talking literally. He's talking figuratively. And when he says, my body is given for you, it's a foreshadowing of his death and resurrection. All right, now look at John 6:44. He says, you might be saying, well, I'm saying to you, you might be wondering, why are you here today? And, and it tells you in this verse, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's a big deal. Jesus is saying, no one comes to, to God. No one comes to me unless God draws them to me. There was a girl in my high school named Julie Savage. Julie was this cute girl, and we've known each other for years and years and years. I could go home, we'd strike up a conversation, have a good time. Julie and I, were the, we never hooked up because I always liked her when she was dating someone, and she always liked me when I was dating someone. But we sang together a lot. We took voice lessons from the same teacher. We were in choir together. We sang all over town these different things, um, just 
women's clubs and barbecues and all this stuff. We were always singing together, having a good time singing together. Well, one night, Julie comes to pick me up because she could drive before I could. And you walk out of my house, pretty long driveway, and then it kind of curves down here, and people would just pull at the end of the, the driveway and honk, and I would come out there. No joke, this particular night, Julie was a cute girl. She's one of those prissy girls, frilly clothes, you know. She always had her hair right and her makeup was done just right, and, and way too much perfume. This one night, I'm walking down the driveway. I am not joking at all. Five steps before I can open the door, I smell her. And I have like, you know, this kind of sensitive nose and I have allergies and all that stuff. And I'm going, dude, I'm opening up the car. I'm like, you're killing me. What in the world? You wear the whole bottle. Now, I don't want a girl who stinks. You know, I don't want that. But I don't want to be someone who's been bathed in the thing either, you know. And that was Julie. She had this aroma. It's cute girl, great girl. But man, you could smell her. You could be around the corner in the high school and like, oh, here comes Julie. Sure enough, she walked around the corner. Her aroma was way too overpowering. Well, the aroma is what I want you to think about. Do you want to know why you're here today? The aroma of the bread of life drew you here. It is not an accident, according to God's Word, that you're here today. The aroma of the bread of life drew you here. Now, if you're a Christian, you are commanded to be here. Hebrews 10.25, we've talked about that. Do not forsake the assembling together. That means don't skip church, as a lot of people are in the habit of doing, because we need to encourage one another, is what the Bible says. And all the more as we see the days getting evil. Well, we see the days getting more and more evil. We need church more and more. As a Christian, you are commanded to be in church. But if you're a seeker, the aroma, the smell of the bread of life is what has drawn you here. Don't just smell it and look at it and say, oh, yeah, I think that would probably work. Don't be like these people up here going, oh, you know, my books satisfy me. Bull! If, you, if your books satisfy you, why do you got to get more? My mama satisfies me. I like my mama. But she was not designed by God to satisfy me. I love my wife, but she was not designed by God to satisfy my soul-level needs. And if I try to plug her in where only God fits, then I'm going to frustrate her and I'm going to frustrate myself and we're going to have an unhappy marriage because I was designed, my needs were designed by God to only be met by Him, the bread of life. Now, some of you have the manna mentality of the people in the Old Testament. Um... If I make this amount of money, that'll do it. You know that's not going to do it. I don't care if the first thousand or the first hundred thousand. I meet people all the time that have a lot of money that they're not satisfied. Money doesn't do it. Well, if I can hang out with that person, if I can marry that person, if I can drive that car, if I can, if I can live in that house, you're not fooling anybody. Because that doesn't do it. It's not going to work. And you know it. The bread of life is what you're looking for. John 6, 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh offered so the world may live. We are what we eat, right? That's true in a physical sense. It's also true in a spiritual sense. We receive Him within just like we receive food and drink. Because Jesus goes on to say, this bread is my flesh, this wine is my blood, so go ahead and eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, He's not talking cannibalism here. It's a symbol. He's foreshadowing His death and resurrection. Jesus, during the Last Supper, was reclining at the table, and, and He took two common elements, a glass of wine and some bread. And He says, this represents my body, the bread does. The wine represents my blood. And He says, eat this to remember me. And then He says in Luke 22, and again in, in Revelation, He says, if you eat this bread, and He's talking about belief. Go back to belief. If you believe in Me, you assimilate Me into your life. There will be a time in heaven 
that you will recline at my table forever. Pretty cool that Jesus offers that. But he says, you've got to take and you've got to eat it. So we are what we eat. And the question is, have you ever eaten the bread of life? John 6 to 58, Jesus said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Well, maybe you're a believer and you have the manna mentality. Maybe you've just been doing the feed me, feed me, all that stuff. It's great to be fed. We have to feed on the Word of God. That's what we're commanded to do. That's what satisfies our soul. It enlightens us. I tell people all the time, 95% of God's will for your life is contained within the pages of this book. If you don't know the pages of this book, you're missing out on 95% of what God wants you to do. The other 5%, you know, who to marry and what school to go to, what job, all those things. God wants you to take the things you learn and hear, pray, apply those things, use the brain that He's given you, and then move forward in faith. So God has given us some things that we need to do, but we don't know it. And so is it any wonder that, that we get messed up? It's great to feed on the Word of God, but we've got to push away from the table and exercise by serving other people. Um, and if you think that, that only feeding is going to do it, then, then maggots are already entering into your life and there's going to be a stench about your life. Been around people that have been in church forever, but they're not loving God and they're not loving people and they're just not fun to be around. There's a stench in their life because they're not doing what God told them to do. Maybe you're in the second chair. Maybe you're a new believer and you don't know how um, to grow. Well, God's going to give you some things. We, on the back of your registration card, there's a 101 class, how to, how to discover church membership. There's a 201 class, how to grow in Christ, how to grow spiritually. There's a 301 class, discovering my ministry. There's some things you can do that will help you move from the second chair into the third chair. Now, if you're in that first chair, if you're a seeker and you, you don't know God yet, here's what you need to do. You're investigating the claims of Christianity. What you need to do is tell God what God already knows, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's how you eat the bread of life. That's how you take the bread of life. And you have this growing awareness that there is a hunger down deep in your soul. And if you admit that to God, He says, I'll come in and I'll meet that need. Um, all of us here need the bread of life. But see, Jesus isn't going to force the bread down your throat. I can't do that. It's your call whether you're going to eat the bread of life. So here in just a minute, we're going to take communion. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to do it in a little bit different way. We've got a couple of tables set up over here. And, and if you're interested in taking communion, that's great. We want you to do that. If you're a seeker, if you're far from God, today can be the first day that as you take the bread, you are saying, God, as I eat this bread, that's how I have taken you into my life spiritually. I've asked you to come in. I want to assimilate everything that, that I have um, into you. And I want you to come and... and, and Give power to every area of my life. God, I want to assimilate you totally. Tax, title, everything. I give you everything. And I'm going to give you a chance to pray that. What we're going to do is we're going to have just a time of prayer. I'm going to give you a chance to fill out your, your registration cards. And then we're going to dismiss. Now, normally when we dismiss, we fire up the music. It's a party up here. But today, folks are going to be coming over here to do the Lord's Supper. Daryl will be at one table. I'll be at another table. Um, and so I'm going to ask you, we're just going to play some quiet music. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to leave this area quietly today. If you don't understand the Lord's Supper and you want to know more, come on over there. We'll have some folks over there. Daryl or me or Dwayne will be over there. Jeff can be over there. There's, there's lots of us that can explain um, what's going on with the Lord's Supper. But this is just going to be a real holy time where we think back 
on what God has done in our life. That's what the Lord's Supper is. Jesus said, He didn't tell us how often to do it, but He said, as often as you do it, remember me. So we're supposed to look back at, at the cross, at what Jesus did. He sacrificed His life so that I might have life and you might have life. We're supposed to look around at others and say, are there any relationships that I have with other people that are wrong? And we're supposed to make those right. And we're supposed to look forward to that time when we will be reunited with Him in heaven and we will dine at His table forever. So, I just want you to close your eyes for just a moment as we finish up this service. Today could be the day that you eat the bread of life. And if you do, no longer will you have to walk through the buffet line of life and look around and say, what is it? What is it that's missing in my life? Because you'll know it's Jesus Christ and you've taken care of the missing ingredient. So many of you need to pray. And I just would ask you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, in a couple of moments, I'm going to eat the bread during communion. And this symbolized that I've asked you to come inside my life. I give you my dreams. I give you my ambitions, my mind, my body, my relationships. Everything, Christ, I give to you. You're the source, and I know that you will satisfy my hunger. Now, if you said that with me, that's the greatest thing that you'll ever do. And after you take communion, after this service is over, I want you to make a beeline to me or Daryl, Dwayne, Jeff, somebody, and tell us about that. You can even put it on the back of your registration card that today is the first day that I ate the bread of life. Because we want to talk to you about the implications of having the bread of life, the source of all life and hope in your life. And we want to help you move from that second chair into that third chair. Some of you here are just believers that are diet-driven and you know it's time that you moved away from the table and served. It's time to utilize the calories from being served to do what God wants you to do. That's to serve other people. And maybe there's something on the back of your registration card that you need to check. It takes a lot of people to put on a service like this every week. There's folks downstairs loving your kids, telling them about Jesus, accepting them for who they are, building them up. We need folks to help there. We need folks in the parking lot. There's all kinds of things that we need. But we need people to push away from the table and serve. So I'm going to pray. We'll be dismissed. We'll start the quiet music. And if you want to come take the Lord's Supper, come and do that. Father, thank you for a chance to worship you. Thank you that you're the bread of life that always satisfies. And God, we know we need daily food physically. How come we don't clue in that we need daily food spiritually as well? God, there's folks that are hearing me today that do not know you. I pray that this would be the day they taste the bread of life. And as we take communion, God, we just say thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for cleansing us from our sin. Thank you that you take the good and the bad, even things like happened to Mandy, and you can bring good out of that. Because you never promised us a pain-free life. You just promised to walk followers of Christ, walk with them every step. we got some hard times, Lord, that we're facing. But as long as you're beside us, we can handle it. We give you our lives. We give you this church. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.